Welcome to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening. Welcome to my home here in the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. And it is great to be with you this evening. Uh, my computer looks a little different than it normally does because of technical difficulties. So I'm working for my iPad, but there's always an extra computer lying around. So uh, excuse me for that, but just welcome to the night show. And like we do every week, I just like to let you know that if you'll give us a few minutes of your time, hopefully the guests that we have on tonight, and I know uh, tonight's is not going to be an exception to that rule, is going to provide you with some information that you're going to be able to use throughout the rest of your week to make you a better person, to help you deal with your anxiety a little bit better, to maybe help you with somebody else in your life, uh, just to how to, to uh, get through the day possibly a little easier than you normally would. Uh, that's what we've been doing the last four years on this radio show. And um, I don't think we fail to uh, to accomplish that each and every week. And I know uh, it is an honor to have who we have on as our guest uh, this evening. Uh, like I like to do each and every week, I always just like to begin with a few things that has been going through my mind. And um, I don't know if you experience things like this, uh, but I have this week. So I want to share with you. Um, often in my world, the biggest obstacle that I have to deal with is sometimes me. I sabotage myself. Why is that? Why is it the fact that, that I talk down to myself? I, I wish myself the worst. Matter of fact, when things are going so well in my life, I typically wonder, okay, what's going to happen bad next? Why can't I just sit back and relax and enjoy what life is handing me, even if it's good things? And I just want to encourage you to don't sabotage yourself. Uh, In our need to avoid suffering, we tend to stick with the comfortableness of sometimes being in misery. And I want to just encourage you to um, help you relax in the moment that it's okay to have good days. As sometimes I look for those bad days because I feel that's what I deserve. And that's so wrong. But I have a feeling that I'm going to get some free therapy from our guest tonight because after reading his book, he feels sometimes the exact same way. Um, There's a famous quote, and I wish I knew who who said it, but what is down in your emotional well will eventually come up in the bucket. So I want to always fill myself with positive things, fill my well up, with those things that I'm going to need to draw on on the days that just don't go so well for me. So don't sabotage yourself. And I'm speaking to the choir. I'm preaching to myself. I'm looking in the mirror right now that there are plenty of other people. And I promise you, you may want to lean into this. There are plenty of other people out there 
that's going to sabotage you already. So don't be one of those waiting in the line to do it to yourself. And giving up on yourself when you have a setback sometimes is like slashing the other three tires on your car when one of them goes flat. It just doesn't make sense. So this week, try to take a step back when you want to say negative things to yourself. When you want to put things in your well that don't belong in there, take time to fill it with good things, good thoughts. You are deserving of it. You are a treasure. Your value, the investment that you place in yourself is sometimes the most important investment that you place in your entire life. And um, those may not just be great uh, thoughts today, but it was what I needed to hear. Why do I damn myself when I ought to be patting myself on the back, picking myself up, brushing myself off and say, go after one more day, give it one more shot and you can do it. And uh, I just hope maybe that's something you need to hear today. You need to hear this week as you go into next week, but try to be a little easier on yourself and hopefully it'll give you uh, a better week. I want to tell you what, it is an honor tonight to have with us uh, on the program, and I mean a great honor, uh, Nathan Spiteri. And Nathan is also a uh, sexual abuse survivor, an activist, uh, uh, advocate. Uh, he was born in Australia, and he's going to tell us about his own personal story tonight. Uh, but not only that, he studied acting in Australia and the United States. He starred in several films. He's a writer. He's uh, been in theatrical productions. And he has written a book that I want you to write this title down. And I want every person that's listening to the show tonight to buy this book because this is a money-back guarantee, per se. But it is called Toy Cars. And you will not forget tonight's program. And it is my honor and privilege to introduce to you and welcome Nathan Spiteri. Nathan, can you hear me tonight? I can. Thank you, Dr. Gregory. It's, it's it's very nice to be here. And I think I just got a therapy lesson from you with your little introduction because I'm my own biggest enemy and, and self-sabotager. And I always have imposter syndrome stuff going on in my head. And why do I deserve to do this and this? And, you know, I, I always, yeah, am in that what? place where... Why do we do that to ourselves? Help, let's help each other out. Is it shame? Is that we think we're not worthy? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and for me, I think it stems from my abuse and my abuser with the, the lies, the, the, you know, him telling me that this is what I deserve. This is what I want, that no one's going to believe me, that if I say anything, I'm going to get in trouble, that my parents hate me, you know, just the the constant, which went on for years and years and years and just ingrained into my head. And I think from that, it's just, I've done the therapy, I've done the work, I'm in a great place, but it's still every, you know, every now and then it pops up and, and it just sits there. It's that, you know, that little voice on my shoulder that I can't, I can't get rid of sometimes. Do, um, do you feel, because our stories are similar. Mine was more, mine was my father. Yours was a stranger. Um, and we're going to let you tell that whole story, whatever you want to tell about it here shortly. But do you think having that, in your case, almost 25, maybe over 25 years of silence, mine was over 35 years of silence because I'm a generation older than you. Um, do you think that had some issues with numbing ourselves to when we enjoy life? We sit back and go, hey, wait, I shouldn't be laughing. I shouldn't absolutely. be having. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, mine was a little over 25 years. So holding that stuff in for 25 years and finally being able to let it out after that, that you know, that silent suffering, it's ingrained in me now. It's a part of me. So just to, to speak about it once and then let it go and pretend it was never there and I can just move on with life and pretend everything is rosy, it doesn't work that way. Life isn't that easy and that simple. So 
I think it's always going to be there. And I think the most important thing is for us to know when we're doing it and know the signs of when it's going to come up or when we're in it so that we are able to educate ourselves or able to evolve or able to, to know when it's, when we're there in the deep end and how to get out of it. I think that's the most important thing is, is knowing how to get out of it, knowing the steps, knowing when it's hitting you, knowing the signs, the trigger points so that, Oh my God, shit, this is it. I'm in it right now. Okay. But I need to just do this, this, and this and remind myself. And that's, that's going to help me get through whatever I'm going through the self-sabotaging imposter syndrome, the shame, whatever it is that, that I'm feeling just to remind myself that no, that is not who I am anymore. This is who I am today. And it's about moving forward with it. You know, it's funny when, you know, and I'm sure you've had this as well. People have always said to me, get over it, move on. It happened 25 years ago. But what people don't realize is that what happened to me, what happened to you is now ingrained in us. It's a part of our DNA. It's a part of our, of who we are. So it's not about just throwing it out. It's about, understanding it it's about educating ourselves evolving with it moving forward with it growing with it so that when it does hit us when the trigger points come on when we're feeling depressed shame whatever we're able to understand it and work through whatever we're feeling and move forward for me it's about seeing where it hits me on my body sitting in it sitting in that pain sitting in that suffering whatever it is i'm feeling sitting in it and being with it and then understanding what it's doing to me, how it's making me feel and then move forward with it. So I know that when it hits me again and it's going to come and hit me again, it's going to come back. I'm like, Oh yes, that was that time. I know how to handle this. I know how to deal with it. Breathe, take those deep breaths because that keeps us grounded. It keeps us safe. It keeps us calm. And then we're able to move forward because we understand what it is, what it does to us, how it makes us feel. But we also understand what we need to do to get through it and move forward. Yeah, I, I was on a um, vicarious um, trauma uh, panel the other day, and they asked me, hey, Greg, what would your best advice be? And I so said, the one thing that I recognize in me is kind of what we both talked about here and touched on is that when I notice silence in my own life, that's when I know I have been triggered uh, because the 35 years of silence created in me such a dark hole that I didn't know if I was ever going to get out of and thank goodness we finally, we both finally have. But when I go back to the silence mode, I know something's wrong in my world. Do you have something that, that triggers you or that you recognize, Hey, wait, I've been triggered, triggered, and this is how it wells up in me. And I recognize it. I think I'm kind of like you. I just go silent. Yeah. And I, I push away from everyone. I'll sit at home for days and not want to talk to anyone. I'll be depressed. And I think one of the most important things, and I talk about this a lot in my book, which I think is my addiction now today, after going through so many addictions, the only thing or one of the only things that gets me through it is going to the gym, working out, doing a boxing session, because it gets the endorphins going, it gets the body going. And no matter how I'm feeling before I go to the gym, when I'm out of it, or once I'm just done with that workout, I feel so much better. And, and that was my addiction because I look like this and you look like you do. <laughs> uh, that's the reason you look so good and I look so bad. Because well, I, you look okay. Don't say that. You look great. <laughs> I, I reach for food or I reach for diet soda or something that's not good for me. Uh, and you reach for exercise. But that's awesome that you have that to go to and you recognize that. Yeah. I think, I think. Through everything and everything I've learned over the past 10 years of my therapy and, and, and whatnot, the most important thing is education. Yeah. I, I really, I can't, I can't touch on that enough. I think when we educate ourselves, we understand it. We know where we're at. We know what we went through. We understand our relationships with, for me, I understand my relationship with my abuser, my family, um, lovers and friends and, and just the people I've done wrong to. And the more important thing, I understand myself. I understand who I am. So 
education, vulnerability, communication. Mm, that's being true. Being able to cry, being able to say, I'm not in a good place, being able to just talk about what we're feeling and what we're going through and, and, and where we're at in the world because it's that silent suffering that kills us and yeah. it kills so many thousands of men and women in the world who who don't have a voice, who are unable to find some closure, get some peace, get some understanding of what they went through. They keep it inside, keep it inside, and just one day, just or not one day, but over the years, it just builds and builds and builds until that one day when you lose it and and you do something silly. So, yeah, it's it for me. Or what worked for me was the education, the vulnerability, vulnerability, the communication, and and letting go of the silent suffering, letting go of the the imposter syndrome, the self sabotage, knowing that it wasn't my fault, knowing that I'm not the only one, knowing that I have those people around me who are going to listen, are going to believe, are going to sit there, are going to hold my hand, give me a hug. Whatever that, whatever it is that I need, they're going to be there, and I know they're going to be there. Um, you know, and it is times like this, and it's sad to say that it is times like this when you you realize who your your people are, your friends, your family, your your people who have your back. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I um, I th- I think what I want to do, Nathan, is I I want you to just tell your story. Sure, 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 sure. The way that you want to tell it. So we're going to warn people right now there will be if you're triggered easily you may want to be ready to uh put this on mute or whatever but i want you to have the freedom uh to tell your story that you tell so vividly in the book and i appreciate that um but whatever you're comfortable with and we want to end up the latter part of the show we want to turn that corner to get to hope uh and what people can do to get over it but uh what what happened to you and how did it impact you and how did it create who you are now and the purpose and your mission that you're on to like me to, to go out and change the world. And hopefully we're going to do that together. Hopefully. Um, so yes, I was born in, in Australia, born in Canberra, which is the capital city. Um, and Canberra is about a three hour drive South of Sydney. And I grew up in a small town just outside of Canberra on the border. So it's kind of like New Jersey, New York on the border there, just over the river, over the Hudson River. Um, It was a normal summer's day. Me and my sister rode our bikes to the swimming pool, as we'd done a thousand times before. And we're talking about the mid 80s when your parents would say, all right, go out, don't come home till six o'clock or don't come home till dinner time till it's dark. You know, a totally different time to what it is today. Me and my sister went down to the swimming pool. Again, something we'd done a thousand times before. Swimming and hanging out with friends. She left probably, I think the pool closed around six o'clock. She left probably around four o'clock with her girlfriends. And and I said, that's fine. I'll just ride my bike home on my own. Again, something I'd done a hundred times before. End of the day, everyone had pretty much left. There was maybe one or two people left in the pool. I went in the change rooms just to get changed, a man followed me in there and raped me in the shower. The first thing he said to me was that if I tell anyone, he'll kill me and kill my family. And again, mid-80s, no access to mobile phones, to to the internet, to organizations and hotlines like we have today. And being told that, I took that as gospel. That's the way it is. Um, so literally from there, I shut down. I, I pushed my family away to protect them, but to protect myself as well. And this relationship with this man went on for about five to six years. Very rough, violent. He would throw me against the wall, choke me out, make me pee my pants, beat me up, and you know, rape me violently on the couch and whatnot. Again, through his grooming, his lies, his manipulation of him telling me that this is what my parents want, that I was looking at him at the pool. I picked him up. That if I tell anyone, no one's going to believe me, that I'll get in trouble, that everyone hates me, all that stuff. It fell into a, a Stockholm Syndrome type relationship where I thought I loved him and I wanted to be with him and I pushed everyone else away. And after those five to six years, he abandoned me. He just disappeared out of my life. And I say abandoned me because he disappeared. 
for two years after that, I was questioning who I was, what I was, where I belonged in the world. Am I gay? Am I straight? Who do I belong with? I want to be with this man, but do I want to be with my family now? From the age of 15 years old through to about 30, I would go into cruise lounges, sex clubs, gay clubs, pick up men, did what I did with them. And then I'd beat them up, bash them, rob them. And that was my F you to the world. That was my way of getting my power back, my way of feeling alive again, my way of just feeling. Um, and this was going on whilst I was trying to be in a healthy relationship with a female. Um, first time I had sex with, with, a, with a female was when I was 17. So for the first nine years of my sexual life, I was being abused and, and raped by men. Um, fell into the drugs alcohol got into it pretty hard at the same time i was doing some modeling but through the modeling i got into the acting in australia and that was my and the way i the reason why i got into acting and and i had such love for it was because when i was an eight nine ten eleven you know my teenage years my way of escaping my life of my reality was was film was movie was just to engross myself in these films and get lost in these films and pretend to be one of the actors pretend to be one of the characters and my love for film and movie and writing and the arts came from there so from Canberra moved up to Sydney I was a personal trainer I was boxing I was doing acting and modeling up there I then got invited to to New York to become an actor so I moved out here and I studied here as well in New York. And I moved to New York in the hope that I could just escape my life in Australia, thinking, great, new life, uh, new country, new start. But it's New York <laughs> and the big bad city. You know, you can get what you want, when you want, however you want it for very cheap. So I, fell back into that world twice as hard, started shooting heroin, smoking, smoking cracks, selling my body for sex. Um, tried killing myself a few times, almost killed someone else. And it was just after that moment of almost kill, killing someone else that I knew I had to do something about it. So I finally told my best friend here in New York. She was someone I went to acting school with and, and we were super close. But at that stage, I had already been in New York for about three years. And at that stage, she was done with me. She didn't want to be my friend anymore because of the road I was going down. So I finally was able to get with her and, and sit with her and, and chat. We went to a cafe in the middle of the West Village. It was just a week or two after my birthday. So it was February. So it was freezing cold. I looked like death warmed up. We walked into this cafe. I sat there. I still couldn't tell her. She was about to get up and leave. And I just screamed it out. I was raped as a kid for the first time ever. I said it. She sat back down. I told her the story, you know, the who, the what, the when, the where. I couldn't go into all details about the sex with men and the violence. But she helped me find a therapist. And then through that, I was in therapy. Still, still am in therapy. But I did therapy, group therapy, rehab, AA, Narcotics, Sex Anonymous, and just over these 10 years of, of my healing journey, I've learned a lot about who I am. I've learned a lot about my, my relationship with this man, with my family, friends, lovers. And for me now, it's about giving back. It's about educating the world on, on male sexual abuse because no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to know about it, but also educate the world on child abuse and, and sexual abuse in general with men and women. What happened to me happened for a reason. The reason why it happened to me was to tell my story, was to do exactly what I'm doing today with you, to write this memoir. Um, so in 2018, just to get on to how I got, it, get, got, this, got this memoir, in 2018, a big article came out about me in Australia in, in one of the major newspapers. And it was a the Sunday Times middle spread. I was on the front page and then a massive spread of me in the middle. Um, through that article, I got a book deal with a publishing house in Australia. And now as a result of that, that memoir coming out, I'm 
now or, or it is now being turned into a movie it's being turned into a play i just did a ted talk you know meeting amazing people like yourself and and working with amazing people like yourself i've got a lot you know i do a lot of speaking engagements so for me now it's just about educating the world and 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 building on this and trying to change the narrative and, and start the conversation and like i said educate educate the world and and you know as much as we need to educate children as much as we need to educate our kids, we need to educate ourselves first. Because if we can't educate ourselves as as leaders, as adults, as community thinkers and doers, and then how are we going to educate our children if we can't even do it to ourselves? So that's my journey now. That's where I'm at. And for me, it is about the advocacy work and the activism work and the speaking engagements. I want to combine that with my my writing and my acting and producing and bring them together and build that as one until stories surrounding this this topic and social justice and and themes and mental illness and and that type stuff so yeah that's me in a nutshell i guess so when this happened you were eight years old correct eight years old, eight years old yeah. i always have this because that's about i have this little shirt uh this was what you were probably wearing <laughs> wow of this shirt is what your age was when this happened to you. And for someone to come into your world and say, you were looking at me, an adult, this was your fault. Um, that That's not the issue at all, but that's exactly the way it begins because it's an automatic, as we say now that we know better, grooming tool that is used. And you were groomed in such a way that you thought you had feelings. And and I think in reality, you did have feelings. I did, when, yeah. My dad stopped uh, abusing me when I was almost 17 years old. I inside internally wanted to say, wait, come back, because I just lost the person I love. And that is so, such a hard thing for a man, is it not? How, how do we deal with our our sexuality? How do we deal with what we can become 25, 30 years later? And Nathan, how do you deal with that today? Those questions that run and circle your mind as they do mine every day. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people ask me, are you gay? Um, the... You know, all the, the, the sex and, and everything else, everything I, all the sex I had with men, there was never any intimacy. I wouldn't touch you, hold you, caress you, kiss you. It was just the act. I needed to feel that act because that is all I knew. Whereas with a woman, I wanted to hold you, touch you, kiss you, caress you. I wanted that love. But for me now, and, you know, I, I've spoken a lot about this with my therapist and a sex therapist and in, you know, Sex, uh, SA and AA and all that stuff. I am what I am. You are what you are. And for me now, it's I, I don't put any pressure on it. I And it's hard. I know it's hard for a lot of people to, to get their head around that. But, you know, like you said, we've done that work, but we still struggle with it. For me now, it's just about I am what I am. I know who I am. And I am comfortable in my skin and in my own body that whether I'm gay, whether I'm bi, whether I'm straight, it, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm happy, as long as I feel joy, as, I, as long as I can feel love with my partner, that is what's most important. And I know a lot of men struggle with that because men, I'm straight. I, I don't want to sleep with a woman, a woman and, and the shame, the toxic masculinity that comes from that. I felt that. I, I suffered through that for, you know, 30-odd years. Um and sometimes I still do. Sometimes, you know, as much as I say I'm comfortable in my skin and in my body, I still suffer um, suffer with it and, and struggle with it. And I still want to act out and do bad things. Um, but I know it's not who I am and I know it's not what I want, what I really want. But like you said, I get triggered by something or I smell something or I see something or it's in a movie and I'm like, fuck, I'm sorry, I shouldn't swear. I'm like, wow, that, you know, I I was there. I did that. I remember those things. 
And I was speaking to someone yesterday or the day before about the drugs I've taken. And yes, I've taken a lot of drugs, like I said, shooting heroin, all that stuff. And a lot of it was to help me get through what I was feeling and to forget and to let go of it and to go to another place. But a lot of it was done in fun and in enjoyment with the people I was hanging out with at that time. And it's the same with the sex. A lot of it was done to forget and to get through and to feel. And then other times it was done because I wanted it. And I genuinely enjoyed it or felt something or needed something from it. So for me now, for me today, it's just about being comfortable in my skin and understanding who I am and where I am in the world, who I surround myself with, and knowing that whether I want to sleep with men, whether I want to sleep with women, whether I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay. Um, but it takes a long time to get to that point, to get to that place where it's like, yeah, okay, I'm comfortable in this now. I can handle this because of the shame, because of what's my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? What are these people around me going to think? And we have so many ideas and we put all that pressure on ourselves and all those voices in our own head. When most of the time, these people around us just want us to be happy and want us to be safe because they know what we've been through. They know what we're suffering from. Um, yeah. Does that, does that make sense? It does make sense. I tell you what, this is a perfect place uh, to take our, our commercial break uh, on the other side of this. Nathan, I want to drill down uh, even deeper into that because there is a difference between intimacy and sex. And I think sometimes when the impact of this happens to men, it gets, really it's not black and white anymore it's all muddled gray all kinds of different colors and i'll push the people that i'm supposed to love away and say hey leave me alone when inside my my spirit is screaming don't leave me stay right here but i verbally say i want you to go away so there's a lot of things i want to get into and i knew this first half hour was going to go quick we may just keep on talking but (laughs) On the other side of this break, I want to also find out what your thoughts are about one of the first lines in your book. And I really want to figure out uh, what, what, you, what you mean by what, what you said. So we'll be right back. While we take this little short commercial break, it gives you perfect time to get on Amazon to buy the book. Go ahead and order it right now, Toy Cars, and uh, get on Amazon and buy that. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. About a minute and 10 seconds. We'll see you in the short. HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back. I'm with a friend of mine, a new friend of mine that I just consider a friend already, uh, Nathan Spateri. And when you look the book up, uh, Toy Cars, you want to make sure you spell his name, S-P-I-T-E-R-I, and uh, also get on Nathan's website. Uh, Unbelievable quality website, Nathan. I applaud you for that. And there's a lot of good information there that you can find out how to get in touch with you personally, how to have you come, uh, be right in front of their... uh, group 
their organization, their school, uh, whatever professional group, whatever it is, because uh, you're going to do a home run for them. Uh, not only do I recommend Nathan for just a workshop and training, but he would be one of the most awesome keynote speakers uh, at any organization, uh, not only in our country, but in the world. So uh, welcome back, Nathan, and uh, welcome back to the program here for the listeners. But make sure you get this book. One of the first quotes when I read the book that I, I jumped on, I wrote down, and what I do uh, as I read every guest book, and then I pull out my sticky notes and I just start writing uh, things down that I really want to drill deeper in. It's one of the first quotes. Hurt people hurt people. Did you find yourself in that mode? Absolutely. And I remember hearing it years ago. I don't know if it was a movie or a book or I don't remember where I heard it for the very first time. And it just, it was like being hit in the stomach with a, with a baseball bat. It just winded me. I'm like, holy hell. Wow. That is it. I'm hurt. And all I do is hurt other, everyone around me. Like I had these people who loved me, who wanted to love me, who were a part of my life. And I just kept hurting them, pushing them away, letting them down. Just I, I wasn't a nice person. I wasn't a good friend. And I, I, I didn't know how or I didn't know why. Um, but listening to that quote, it just resonated with me so much because when you're hurt and when you're hurting, you don't know any different. You reenact, you, you live in that world and, and you always hurt the ones that love you the most. You always hurt the ones that are closest to you because that's the easiest thing to do. And then these strangers, these complete strangers, you'll befriend, you'll bring them into your life. They'll get close and then you hurt them and push them away. And just going on that next quote in the book, and which is something that my publisher told me was healed people, heal people. Cause I sent her that quote or I called her up one day or she called me just to see where I was at and how I was doing and I was just struggling with it. And again, the imposter syndrome and the self-sabotage. And I can't write this book. And why do I deserve this? And I, you know, why should I be the one saying this? Because I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. But I remember my publisher so clearly said, Nathan, healed people, heal people. And that is what you are doing right now. You are healing yourself. But in the process, you are healing everyone around you and just strangers. And you are healing the world. So... It was a complete 360. It was a complete reversal of, of that hurt people, hurt people to then heal people, heal people. Um, very simple quotes, but very, very powerful. And there is so much packed into those, you know, four words, heal, uh, hurt people, hurt people, because that is all I knew. That is all I knew how to do. And that was the way I lived my life. And I was comfortable. Not in- only that to others, but you started with yourself oh absolutely i hurt myself i hurt myself the most and is it because you didn't think you deserve better exactly i i hated myself i hated who i was i hated the world i wanted to be done i wanted to kill myself i wanted to be to be done with it all because i just i didn't deserve happiness i didn't deserve love i didn't deserve any joy in my life and the only way I know how to live my, or the only way I know I knew how to live my life was by hurting myself, was by shooting heroin, was by taking drugs, was by going out and getting into fights and being violent. That was the only thing that gave me life. Um, and I hit so many lowest points, you know, and I thought, all right, it can't get worse. It can't get worse, but it just kept getting worse and worse. And that was all on me. That was me doing it to myself. It wasn't anyone else. You know, we always point the finger at everyone else. But, you know, when you point the one finger, you've always got four fingers pointed back at yourself. And it took a long time for me to realize that, that, yes, I'm hurting these girls. Yes, I'm hurting these people. And they're angry at me and they're shouting at me. And I'm like, wow, these people are crazy and get the hell out of my life. But these people are shouting at me. These people are frustrated. These people are angry. These people are upset. Because of me, because of my actions, because of my words, not because of anything they've done. So I think the most important thing that I've I've learned on this journey is to own your shit, own who you are, own what you've done, own where you are in the world. 
And another big lesson that, you know, that took me a long time. But once I was able to own my messiness, own who I was, it allowed me to then understand these relationships, understand myself and go a long way to, to restoring these, these relationships with these people. And again, sorry. Words, owning the stuff. Yeah. What do you mean? Take accountability. Take accountability, take accountability for the, for the, the bad things you've done instead of blaming everyone else, instead of, you know, it was his fault. He did it. He was crazy. He was this, he did that. No, it was me. I made him feel that way. I made him act that way because of my actions, because of my words, because of where I was. So take accountability for, for your actions, for your past, for the things you've done, for the words you've said, for the hurt you've caused, for the lies, for the cheating. Um, and I think this next step from that is, you know, people say you need to forgive your abuser. No, I don't need to forgive my abuser because I'm not a robot. I have feelings. I have memories. I remember what this man did to me and how he made me feel and how he destroyed my life for a long time. What I need to forgive or who I need to forgive is myself. Mm. And in forgiving myself, I am able to go a long way in getting over all these things that I'm going through, I'm able to get over or sorry, to, to understand this anger and hatred I have in the world, this toxic masculinity, this shame, this unworthiness, this fear that I, that I feel every single day. And in me forgiving myself, I'm able to let go of a lot of this stuff. I'm able to, to break through that door, break through that wall and get through these emotions and feelings that keep holding me back. And in forgiving myself, then I'm able to go and forgive the ones who have hurt me the most or come to an understanding for what they've done to me. So I'm able to let go again of the anger and hatred I have toward these people. Um, so forgiveness was a very big thing. But again, before I f- could forgive, I needed to own who I was and what I did and understand what I did. And, and the hurt I caused and the suffering and the pain to myself, but also to others. But, but you're, but you're pertaining to the forgiveness of what you've done after the abuse, because you said you don't forgive your abuser, uh, which is justifiable, but the forgiveness you're talking about is what, because of that abuse turned you into and caused you to hurt other people. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So you're asking forgiveness for and giving forgiveness to those people that you have hurt since the the abuse and what you know obviously before that i was an eight-year-old kid i was i i'd spoken to my family and you know in writing this book and my sister and my parents i was a normal kid apparently and i you know i do have one or two memories before that i was outgoing i was an extrovert i was always i lived in a cul-de-sac so all the kids would come to our cul-de-sac and we'd always play soccer or football. And in Australia, we'd play cricket in the cul-de-sac and mess around. And, you know, we did what kids do. But as soon as I had this come on to me, this abuse, I never went out again. I just sat in my room and I played with my toy cars. I, I watched movies. Um, and my parents thought that was just me evolving into who I was. I was just a quiet kid. I was just an introvert. I just wanted to be on my own. And again, you know, we're talking about the eighties. My parents weren't educated. I don't blame them at all for what, what I went through and, and, or have any hatred or anger toward them. They just thought I was a quiet kid. And, you know, maybe that's what's made me a good actor is that I was able to lie for so long and, and put up that wall and put on that mask and pretend to be someone that I'm not act like someone and pretend that life was great and hang out with friends. We're deep down every single day from a kid up till recently, I would go home and cry myself to sleep every day because I hated my life. How do you deal with, because you mentioned the word three times, I think already, uh, shame and guilt um, because it, it overwhelms us, even though it's not our fault, we keep throwing that fault onto us. Yeah. How did you get over that? 
I think the biggest thing I learned in therapy and my therapist, and, and she's passed away now, God bless her. She was an older woman. You know, she was about four foot nothing, this small little bulldog of a woman who would just really get into me. And I remember, and it was probably over a few weeks because I was so closed off and I still couldn't do it yet. And this is probably still six months in the, this was six months in, into the therapy with her. She said, Nathan, if you could go back today and speak to your eight-year-old self, what would you tell him? And I would arm and arm, I don't know. And, you know, I was just lost in the question. I did not know. And then until finally one day it just clicked. It hit me. It got me. And it was, I would tell myself that it wasn't your fault. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't your fault. You know, we were eight-year-old kids. What, what the hell did we know back then? Once I realized that, the heaviness just came off me. The shame that I was feeling that it was all my fault and I deserved this and and this is who I am and and you know all that stuff. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve happiness. I don't deserve anything. It all started to fall off me. But it not you know obviously it's not straight away. It's, it's learning that it wasn't my fault, but then going deeper and really getting into the you know the nuts and bolts of it and, and my relationship with this man and and what he did and what I did as a consequence. But one of the biggest things that I, I have to say was that once I discovered it wasn't my fault, I was then able to own my stuff, own that messiness, and then able to find a forgiveness. Um, but again, you know, like we spoke from the very, you know, at the top of this show, there are still days when I have, when I have imposter syndrome. There are still days when I think I don't deserve, but, but what we need to remember as well, that's just a human condition. No matter what you've been through, no matter who you are, we all feel that whether you are the top of the top in your field or, or wherever you are, we all, I'm sure every single one of us feels that kind of, I don't deserve or imposter or self-sabotage. Um, again, it's about educating ourselves on it. For me anyway, it's about educating myself on it and understanding it and being able to get through it, understand the signs, understand the triggers so that when they do hit me, when they do come on me, when that shame, when that imposter syndrome, self-sabotage does fall onto me again, I'm able to work with it. I'm able to sit in it, understand it because it's, it's, you know, it can be different all the time and then, and then move forward with that and, and, and grow from it. That's life changing for me because I, I never have, and I, I've been speaking on this and doing this for you. I never had heard everybody goes through that, whether you're abused or not. And I think sometimes when I, that I, I have to take a step back that when I'm going through an emotion, it doesn't always have to go back to my dad abusing me when I was a kid or me being so uh, in the, to his friends for sex it didn't it doesn't always have to go back to that every person on the face of this earth goes through those days of down those days of depression those days of shame and guilt and Absolutely. as as a man does it affect us differently that i ought to have absolute control over every one of my emotions at all of, times of course when, that's the way we're brought up that's the way we're brought up that's the way we've been taught at school or, or male role models Men are strong. Men are tough. Men don't cry. Men just get through it. Men just keep it inside and you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, you're a man, you're strong. You've got muscles. You're a big boy. Um, but you're more of a man if you're able to cry. You're more of a man if you're able to show vulnerability. You're more of a man if you're able to communicate. You speak to, I'm sure, every 100% of partners, whether you're gay, straight, bi, whatever you are, your partner wants you to be vulnerable. Your partner wants you to communicate. Your partner doesn't want you to hold all your emotions in. Your partner doesn't want you to be strong and go around beating people up. Your partner doesn't want that. Your partner wants someone loving and soft and caring. Yes, a protector, but they also want someone who they can talk to, who they can trust, who they know is going to listen to them instead of just throwing it away and telling you to get over it and, and grow up and stop being a, you know, a baby or whatever the situation is. 
So for men, that was ingrained in us at a very early age. That was ingrained in us through watching sports and football and these big guys, muscles tackling and hitting each other through, you know, some actors as well being very manly and very strong and, and you know, womanizers and all that type stuff on these movies and shows and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you're, what I've learned is that you're more of a man if you are able to show show vulnerability show communication show tears you know and i talk about this in my ted talk that there was a, a study done on rats um from with human tears and these human tears are tears that come from anger hatred depression sadness whatnot you know the the bad tears let's say and they fed these tears to these rats and after a while these there are so much toxins and poisons in these tears that they was able to kill a rat so imagine us as men imagine us as humans when we hold these tears inside yes we are obviously we're much bigger than rats but you know we hold these tears inside these tears are having an effect on us these toxins and poisons that we just hold inside are going to eventually just build and build and build that's why as a society and i think we're now 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 finally getting to this point we need to redefine masculinity. We need to redefine male role models, who they are, what they are. We're the male role models. You and I, people who can talk about this stuff, people who can go deep, people who can be vulnerable, people who can be real. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's something that's, I think it's been in the human condition for thousands of years that men were always strong men were the protectors men were the fighters men go to war men kill each other men beat each other up but that is so unhealthy so how do we how do we deal with at least one of my biggest issues and you wrote about quite a bit in, in your book too if we have these issues and we know we need to be vulnerable and know that our, our spouse, our significant other needs and wants that vulnerability in us. How do we cross over that wall that is called trust? Because I don't trust anybody. The closest people in my life are the ones that screwed me over when I was a child. So how do you learn to trust again and to open up that wall? Oh, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that question before. I think it just comes with time. I think it just comes with, again, and I'll always come back to this, it comes back to education and learning who you are, learning what you've been through, learning about the the trauma and going on that discovery of of who you are today and who you really are. Because for me, for the first 35 odd years of my life, I was a character. I was playing someone else. I was being someone else. But once I started to educate myself on who I am and what I am, again, it's like those an onion peeling those layers off, off you know, of an onion. I was peeling those layers away and slowly but surely I was being able to open up. I was being able to trust. I was being able to be vulnerable, to communicate, to share. And it's, you know, it's that first step is always the hardest. It really, whether it's about talking about your, what you went through, whether it's about trust, whether it's about love, whether it's about vulnerability, whatever the situation is, that first step is always the hardest. You have a quote in the book that goes something like this. Do you know, uh, let's see, where's that? Um, the difference with men with the authentic inner self versus their fake outer selves. Do you find yourself, even though you know, I mean, you, you wrote the quote, uh, you wrote the book, you've experienced the life and you're dealing with it every day like I am. How do you find yourself sometimes slipping into the actor mode and you go, hey, wait, this ain't who I am. I'm yeah. playing. Yeah. If I'm out, if I'm about, you know, if I'm at work, if I'm surrounded by people I, I I don't feel safe around or I don't want to be around or I, you know, whatever, I I put on that mask again and I I will be the person that they want me to be, not who I want to be. 
And when I'm done, I'm just exhausted. And sometimes I will have a little cry or I'll, I will fall back into that depression or into that shell and into that, that, that self-sabotage and imposter syndrome and I don't deserve and, and, Again, what I tend to do when that happens is just sit in it, sit in that moment and sit why I why I did that, why I put myself out there, why I just didn't leave, why I didn't walk away. And sometimes you can't walk away because of work or a situation or or whatever, whatever it is. Um so I sit in it and I I learn what I went through and what I was feeling and going through. And then sometimes if I have to see that person again or if I'm with them the next day or whatever it is, I have sometimes verbally communicated that with them that I felt uncomfortable or I didn't feel safe or, or whatever the situation was. And nine times out of 10, they understood or they they wanted to talk, talk more about it. They wanted to learn more about it because these people themselves were going through something and didn't know how to deal with it or didn't understand. And I think that's the problem with society today is that we all live in this little bubble where the outside world, like you said, my outer self, the outside world thinks that we are amazing. We have a beautiful house. We've got the big fast car, the gorgeous girlfriend. We're making all this money. Life looks amazing. You know, our our Instagram life, because it's all fake. But if we do that work on ourselves, we're going to realize just how unhappy we really are and how all that stuff, that material stuff is not real. And do we want to do the work on ourselves and have to go through it? Or do we want to pretend and stay in this fake world because it's easier? And I think that's the problem is that 95% of the world want to stay in that fake world because it's easier and they don't want to do the hard work on themselves. They don't want to go through what they're going to have to go through and discover the stuff they're going to just to discover, whether it is about repressed trauma, stuff that they haven't dealt with from years ago, um, whatever that situation is. So, you know, I think that's why, it, again, it always comes down to education and just learning. And, and for me now, touching on the on, on your original question it's about sur- surrounding myself with the right people right. making sure i'm surrounded by the people who i know i can trust and love and and talk and communicate with um because for a long time i wasn't able to trust just like you i wasn't able to let any anyone in i wasn't able to communicate how i felt and i just built that wall and i pushed you away and i didn't care how i hurt you do you think you're better at refining your bs detector than what you were years ago oh, absolutely yeah, I'm much better at finding the BS in me, and I'm able to find the BS in people so much quicker. Yeah, so that's why sometimes I like to just stand back and observe, and just watch people and act and see how they are. And you can see the BS in people. You know they're not being their true, authentic self. Yeah, yeah. The last minute or two we have of the show, and I knew I knew this hour would go by fast, and I appreciate your time. Dream with me a little bit, Nathan. After you have done this book, I think you're still filming your documentary of a film. Um, just dream with me. Where do you want to be three to five years from now because of where you've been, yep. what you've learned, what you've experienced and what you've done. And I applaud you so much right now already from the book and, and just telling the world what's happened. Where do you want this to go in three to five years? Where would you like to be? Uh, 2028. With Nathan. Yeah. Great, 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 great. <laughs> in a dream in my ideal world. Um, yeah. yeah, I just finished shooting a documentary about me. And what we're doing with this documentary, we're sending it to all the major film festivals. We want to get it into the Oscars. We, I want to use this documentary as a sizzle reel and go to all the major networks and streaming services like HBO, Apple, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, you know, all of those and say, come with me and let's create an eight-part series of me traveling the world, going to places like Thailand, Brazil, um, 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 India, back to Australia, here in the States, doing an eight-part series, hour-long episodes of me speaking to people like yourself, speaking to survivors, speaking speaking to organizations, speaking to people in the government 
about how we can change the narrative. We're never going to end it. We are never going to end sexual abuse. But how we can change the narrative, how we can educate people, how we can start having this conversation, because it's still such a taboo subject. It's still such a nut, sweep it on the carpet. Let's not talk about it. Pretend it doesn't happen, especially when it comes to men. So that's one of the things I want to do. Um, This movie script for my for the for the movie is done for the for for the um the memoir we want to start shooting around this time or late next year so in three years it should be coming out it's premiere it's doing amazingly well i want to be creating more film and more tv and producing and writing but also more importantly i want to be working with yourself going to the un working with major people talking about this being a major advocate, being an activist, speaking around the world, really creating change. And hopefully I'm opening the door. And from the very first day I did this, from the very first day I went on this journey, when this article came out, I told the journalist when she was writing it, if I can change one person's life, if I can stop one person from killing themselves, from abusing another child, from going down the road, I did then I'm, my job is done. I know I've done the right thing. So ultimately, if I can continue to save lives and help people be a voice for the voiceless, that's that's what it's about. You know, I want to, I, you know, yes, materialistic wise, I want my memoir to be on Oprah's book list. I want it to be a New York Times bestseller. I want to win thousands of awards for this movie and this documentary. Um, it's being turned into a play. I wanted to win a Tony Award. I wanted to go to Broadway. You know, there's there's a lot of things I want to do, but ultimately it's about saving lives and it's about helping people. Um, that's what it all comes down to. That's why I started this journey. I'll tell you what, I, I appreciate so much because I think every one of those dreams are going to come true. Huh. And uh, because I've seen your heart, I've talked to you and I want to continue speaking with you and collaborating with you and, and working with you on projects. And uh, I just uh, appreciate so much you sharing the story with us tonight and on the program. And I wish we had another hour or two to go uh, because I didn't get to half of my stuff after I read the book that I really wanted to, to talk to you about. But maybe we'll have you back if you have some time because uh, you're in New York right now, right? I am in New York. And I was just about to suggest that if you want to, if this goes down well with your listeners, let's do another second or third episode, however many episodes it takes to get to get it all out. Let's um, do it. That'd be great. Fantastic. Nick. Thank you. And again, if people want to get in touch with you, the website's probably the best way. Give us your website address. It's and- just, yeah, sorry. It's just my name, www.nathanspateri.com. I'm also on Instagram. Um, so I do get a lot of people reaching out to me on that. So yeah, website, Instagram, and and just to, I started a new thing, if I have a quick second, 30 seconds, sure. where I know there's a lot of us in the world who are unable to tell their story, who don't have the courage or don't have the voice. So what I've done is is speak your truth, where people are able to write in, send me their, their story, and I will say it out loud through Instagram and through TikTok and tell your story live. Obviously, it's going to be anonymous, but if that allows you some closure and some peace, Write to me, send me your story, and I will speak it out for the world to hear. That's fantastic. And everybody buy the book. I highly recommend it, Toy Cars by Nathan Spateri. Nathan, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Looking forward to what the future holds for you. Absolutely. For the two of us. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you, Nathan. Take care. As we do each and every week, I always like to close with the the final thought. And and Nathan, I think, uh, with his dreams, shared that, that no matter what you have gone through, whether it was something that happened when you were eight years old, in my case, from my earliest memory, and whatever your case is, and it doesn't have to happen over years. It can just happen one brief time, and that's enough to get up here in that attic and start kicking those mental shingles loose. No matter what it is that you're going through today, in your past, or tomorrow, I want to let you know, as long as you have breath, there is hope. I promise you that. Join us right here next week for another edition of Breaking the Silence, live from Houston, Texas. Have an awesome, awesome week. God bless. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.